I think it's probably legacy post-communist fuel mixes just catching up with in terms of the approach to the energy transition. But frankly, uh, our region is so uh, perspective now and so attractive because it's catching up and therefore is, in my opinion, much more attractive from an investment perspective than you know, legacy markets in Western Europe. Sustainability in Finance. Sustainability in Finance. A podcast hosted by the International Sustainable Finance Center in Prague. Join us and explore different perspectives of finance and its importance for the Central and Eastern European region. Hello, everyone. Welcome to our newest episode of Sustainability in Finance podcast. Today, you can get ready for an insightful conversation with Bart Dojczynski, a seasoned renewables expert with over two decades of experience with renewable energy value chains. Welcome, Bart. Hello, Julian. Pleasure to be here. Thank you. And so as the founder of Proventus Renewables, um, you have spearheaded innovative solutions in onshore and offshore renewable energy, clean tech and investments and while also serving in multiple board and advisory positions for different organizations in the energy sector. So I'm actually familiar with your background and experience, and I have heard you speak at conferences a few times. Um, so I know that your expertise goes from you know energy efficiency, wind performance, photovoltaics, and so on. But I would be quite interested to, if you could maybe share bit more about your journey and experience in the renewables and the industry. So how did you actually start and what led you to this specific industry, especially many years ago when it wasn't maybe as popular as is it now? Yeah. So, I, I, so I'm, I'm based in London in the UK. I am Polish by background. And uh, my career start was rather a traditional London city type career. So uh, I went from university, then I did an accountancy qualification at PwC. And then I went into investment banking. And then I went to private equity, uh, buy side uh, investing. So when I when I became an investment banker, I worked for a bank called Rothschild, I was in the utilities and infrastructure team. And at that point, we were doing lots and lots of power deals, but they were all conventional. And bizarrely enough, I remember to this day, when I was at Rothschild, a managing director came to me and said, have you ever heard of a company called Polish Energy Partners? And I had no idea who they were. And this was in 2007, 2008. And the reason I mentioned that is because later in my life, totally by coincidence, I was involved in buying that company uh, when we created uh, Polenergia for the Kulczyk Investments family office, which Kulczyk is a, is a family office I worked for for around nine years. And, and during that time, when I was working for them, I managed to, this is really when I came into touch with renewables. Uh, so in and around 2010, 2011, we had with Gojek Investments and some some other partners, uh, other infrastructure funds from London, tried to participate in some privatizations of big Polish utilities, so integrated utilities like Enea and Energa. We didn't manage to do that. Those privatizations were cancelled. But at that time, after that, the CEO of Kulczyk Investment said, you know what, let's try to create a unified power strategy for the family office. And this is when I started to get involved with a few other people. In fact, the current CEO of Polenergia and and one or two other people, we actually created Polenergia from scratch, from nothing, from a few ideas, from a few projects that were being developed by Kulczyk family office. 
and one of and, and we did it and we 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 made two big acquisitions one was from a, acquiring a, a gas-fired combined heat and power plant called uh, ENS and another one was actually Polish energy partners so it's really funny because when we were making that acquisition 2012 2013 i actually remembered i know this company you know when i was doing some financial modeling of conventional power plants in Rothschild in 20, 2007, somebody asked me about this company, which was actually at the time starting off pioneering renewable energy and onshore wind development in Poland. Um, so that's how I, I, I got into that. So when we, when we started creating the power strategy, we very quickly said, you know what, we need to put some renewables around this because this is where the market's going. This is where the trends are. So around 2012, 2013, we, all of the private assets of the Kulczyk investments portfolio private power assets, which also included distribution and trading, we put that into the public asset, which was Polish Energy Partners, which we bought a controlling stake of. And therefore, we then renamed it all as Polenergia. Uh, that's how it's today actually still listed on the on the Warsaw Stock Exchange. And I was CFO of that business for a couple of years until 2018 as well. So I would say my journey with renewables probably started in 2012. So only 11 years ago of a 24-year career or something like that. It's quite interesting, though. So then you actually started more in finance. I, I see that you were in education, right? You, you were originally going into investments and finance, and then through finance, working on or in that area, in that field, or maybe in, in investments, in energy, you actually got to, through this story, to renewable as well. Yes. Interesting. And then, but also, I'm just, what I'm thinking... Although about, I started off as a, as a, I actually studied law. Okay. Which oh, wow. was a waste of time. As far and as then I was you... concerned, <laughs> so I was never going to be a good lawyer, but I did. I did get a legal degree at, in London. Well, and then you did the accountancy, yeah, um, at, for PwC as well. So that's yeah, exactly. I mean, that's a good mix. Listen, that's a good mix, especially for a CFO as well, reading a lot of documents and understanding different contracts. So definitely useful. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> probably, if I had my time again, I probably would have gone into economics or something like that. Uh, or finance a bit earlier on but that's fine you know yeah exactly doing okay and then uh, but it's interesting because you also mentioned so you obviously studied in london and you are based in london but then somehow you found your way back to poland and polish energy industry and market yeah so that's polynergia so already actually working in in the field and then as you said so as part of the strategy you started looking more into renewables and Maybe what I'm thinking, so you mentioned, so that was, let's say, 10 years ago or a couple of years ago then. What was that industry like back then? Like when you actually started, I mean, because you had experience, especially from investments in energy overall, so more, you know, diverse in terms of different energy sources and so on. And then you basically like focused on renewables, you would say? Well, so when we created Polenergia, it was actually a integrated utility. So it has a trading arm. A small customer base it had a generation arm which was a gas-fired chp and a distribution business and a couple of onshore wind farms in operation after the acquisition of polish energy partners and then a you know couple of hundreds of megawatts in development and actually so the business at that time in poland was no pv offshore wind was like a pipe dream so we were actually the first active developers of offshore wind at the time but frankly speaking, everyone thought we were we were nuts. No, nobody was really doing it. So Polenergia was pretty much the only the only person doing it. And in fact, the current CEO of Polenergia, my great friend Michal Michalski, who was also part of the team creating Polenergia, he's still there and he's currently CEO. Well, he he was basically at the time 
the real pioneer of offshore wind development, and he was really pushing those projects. But no, but every, everybody thought we were a bit crazy. So offshore wind was was um, you know very risky, no regulation, no, no and nothing really. So we were just developing these sites on the expectation that that it would materialize correctly. It turns out to be. Then uh, onshore wind was predominantly green certificate support based, and that was to end very soon because uh, green certificates were were going to come down in value rather dramatically uh, in 2016, 2017. And the new, uh, at the time, the new government, who is the the party which is currently still in place in Poland, the the, uh, Law and Justice Party, was very negative on onshore wind and basically halted development of onshore wind in 2016 and put in put up some really painful real estate taxes so so there's no pv onshore wind was you know really there were some head headwinds of of onshore wind and offshore wind was practically non-existent and the new and imagine this the new the new government in place in 2016 was basically not giving anybody any hope that things would change but uh, you know c- credit to the shareholders of Polenergia at the time you know, they believed in, in the business and in the strategy. I then became CFO of the business in 2016, had to deal with, you know, huge debt, debt refinancing because we had these problems that I mentioned in terms of power prices and green certificate prices. And with time, by 2017, 2018, there, things began to recover. So, so Poland, even though it was very much anti-renewables for a while, began to realize this is just not going to work. You know, the European Commission is... Mega trends globally, so the, the things started to change. The onshore wind market began to recover. We bought an Equinor to for our offshore wind projects, and that kicked off the offshore wind market. People realized, oh, well, if Equinor's coming in, then then it's got to be worth something. So companies like Arlen and PGE and others began to dust off their offshore wind projects, so to speak, and and try to catch up. So it all it all changed. It all started to change around about the 2017 2018 time and then I thought at the time it was a good point to actually utilize that change and do something different. Yeah, which obviously is only accelerating more and more, I think, with all the regulation and climate law and you know the EU Green Deal. So there's so much push now. But it's I mean it's <laughs> it's really interesting to reflect back and I mean hear what you're saying because I mean now it seems like a like a normal, really common thing to focus on renewables, but essentially we're a bit ahead of its time and pioneers in Poland, especially in Poland, right? With all the yeah, among, and, and a few others, yeah, and a few others, but but for sure, there, there's a bunch of other pioneers uh, uh, that 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 were there at, at the time with the energy mix as well, which is, I mean, let's be honest, I mean, it's still fairly focused on uh, fossil fuels, so definitely not an easy task. Okay, that's a really interesting journey, and then I, I mean, I. Know that also you have your own organization, right? Which is Proventus Renewable. Yes. So that was after Polyenergia then. Yeah. So, so the, the, basically, I uh, I had always because I'm based in London and I'm always straddling London and Warsaw. I had some ideas that basically I came to the conclusion that it was worthwhile developing those ideas in a, in a different setting. So I created uh, my company, Proventus Renewables and some other consortia with local development partners around offshore wind and PV. And we, for each, let's say each technology, I, 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 had, I had some ideas around what to do in terms of bringing in international investors to benefit from that slight improvement. So as I mentioned to you, 2017, 2018, things were beginning to improve, but they were still a bit edgy. 
And so that was, I thought, the best time to actually start working on some strategies because by the time it's no longer edgy, it gets quite crowded. So via my company, Preventus, we created a number of PV strategies by bringing in investors into the PV space, into the developing large-scale PV with local developers. On the onshore wind, various strategies with investors either doing the same development or actually looking at operational wind farms, uh, slightly older, uh, acquiring them, restructuring the capital structure, restructuring the revenue stream, so putting in PPAs. So actually we were the first one of the first ones to put in bankable PPAs in Poland 2019, 2020. And for the offshore wind, I had an idea to work with a, with a very big Canadian developer and try to bring them into the Polish offshore wind market, which was a little bit unique uh, it was Northland Power, and now it's a, we've managed to secure a partnership with Ollen, which is a Polish um, oil and gas company for a large, very large offshore wind project. And that was actually my second time, so because previously, you might recall, I, uh, we brought in Equinor to the Polenergia portfolio. So it's, it's, it's a bit of a repetition. Okay, so then still, well, based in London, and you, you started your company, but still heavily involved in Poland as well. And Yes, although I was I was also very keen to look at other areas. So I was all trying to build up a network in the Baltics, Romania, Bulgaria, Balkans, because Poland was a, was a pretty good test case. A lot of the regulations, CFDs, PPA, project financing structures, it was a very good test case, which then could be used for other locations. And so I'm actually now working. We're working on some opportunities in, 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 in the Balkans and Baltics as well. I'm quite curious, by the way, So, because when you mentioned innovative solutions and strategies, and I mean, essentially what you're also discussing or mentioning is it's financing, like actually getting financing for yeah. some of these projects. So I'm quite curious. So when you say innovative solutions or approaches to some of the you know renewables, so what are some of the main challenges, by the way, in the in the region? Like, what is some of the innovative approach, or to what exactly is it needed? Like, what are we trying to overcome? Like, are there any challenges, or maybe are there any challenges that are shared and maybe similar across the region? Yeah, so it's always the same few things. So, in order to finance a project with debt, lenders will look for some, some sort of stability, some sort of predictability in the cash flows, so that they could maximize the chances of getting the debt interest and capital back so and you know one major innovation with which i was pretty close to was working with a large international infrastructure investor in poland whereby we really or the investor had superb excellence in, in terms of structuring ppas and i was i was i guess i was assisting and, and helping around the edges of that and that really exposed me to how to structure long-term offtake agreements. And that was an innovation at the time in Poland that just did not exist. It was prevalent in Western Europe, in, in Spain, Nordics, Germany, UK, but in Poland, it was a total uh, non-existent product. And we managed to acquire some wind farms, restructure their revenue stream. So take it off the power price on the market-based power price, which is obviously very volatile, can be very volatile. Put in long-term power purchase agreements uh, with bankable, so very, uh, let's say bankable, meaning reliable off-takers. And therefore, we managed to de-risk those assets. So that was a huge innovation because since 2019, when we were, I think I was involved in the second formal PPA in Poland, but the first one, which was actually financed by a lender. So let's say solid enough to under, underpin uh, financing. Since then, you know, Poland has actually just rocketed to 
I think, number four most liquid PPA market in 2020. What I wanted to hear, maybe if you can very briefly just explain PPA, by the way, because I'm thinking, so I, I don't have any practical experience with PPAs and power purchase agreements as such, but I mean, I would imagine, so probably not everyone in the audience actually knows these. I know there's, there's a couple of examples in Czech Republic as well. I think Škoda, for example, uh, had one of the biggest PPAs in Czech Republic. But could you maybe for a few seconds just talk about what it is exactly, especially in practice, what does it mean? Yeah, so essentially it's a long-term agreement to buy power. Right, so PPA says power purchase agreement. Actually, it doesn't have to be long term. It can be short term. So it can be as short as one year. It can be as long as 20 years. So what it does is if, let's say, a wind farm or a PV farm signs uh, a PPA with somebody who needs that power. So let's say an Amazon or a steel mill or Skoda, as you said, and keeping it simple is essentially that. The off-taker, which is Skoda, needs to buy power anyway to run its operations. So we can either do that by simply procuring power in short-term basis from the market, which is, means it's subject to quarterly, annual, you know, half-yearly, whatever fluctuations or daily fluctuations. And also buying that power from the market, you don't know whether it is made from a coal plant or from a nuclear power plant or from a wind. You know, it's just mixed in. It's, it's all in the same bucket. So country, so, so, so off-takers like Skoda and Amazon and IKEA want to say, well, first of all, I want to make sure I buy green power because I want to be sustainable. And secondly, I want to actually take away some of that volatility, which I have on a daily basis. So I will look to contract with a producer. So, so let's say a wind farm, a certain amount of volume, which I need for my operations to continue. Now, it's a bit of a simplification. So I won't get into various terms like baseload and base produced, etc. But in, in simple terms, that uh, off-taker wants to have green power and it wants to have and and it wants to take away that volatility risk. So it's a kind of financial decision and a sustainable decision. And therefore, that long-term power agreement, it can be from two, three, four, five, ten years. The longer, the more stable it is the better it is from a lending perspective because lenders love stability. And of course, there's lots of negotiations around the price of that power. You always look at the market, what's the market price? And then obviously the producer would like to sell it at the highest price. The off-taker would like to buy it at the lowest price. So it's a, it's all a mixture of all these considerations. But at the end of the day, you end up with a long-term agreement. That long-term agreement allows revenue stability for the producer and allows that producer to procure debt. And on the off-taker side, it's a guarantee of clean energy, so therefore reducing its carbon footprint. And there's also a financial decision, so it has to make financial sense from their perspective. It sounds like a very, not only popular, but really viable solutions, I think, especially if there's so much pressure on companies to reduce their emissions, right? Especially scope to from purchased energy, especially for all these big corporations, such as whatever in the automotive industry. So I feel like that's uh, one of the big strategies or possibilities they can do now. Yeah, and even more. So so there are, uh, for example, big uh, players like IKEA. So IKEA not only runs tenders to buy, procure power for its own operation, but it also forces all of its supply chain to participate in that tender and to procure green energy for themselves. So IKEA will not procure anything unless that from anybody, unless that supplier, whether it's from supplying glasses or pencils or whatever for IKEA, 
is also procuring energy from a green source. So that means the whole supply chain is carbon free. And so one more topic or area you already mentioned is that maybe back then, a couple of years ago in Poland, when you were starting, so that ambition for renewable power at the state level wasn't as high. And this is something, I mean, some, sometimes is being discussed here in Czech Republic, where there is still, I mean, significant part of the energy mix is fossil fuels. And now we are all waiting for the new NECP, which is National Energy and Climate Plan, to see if there's any more, any, you know, maybe increased ambition for investing and investments into renewable power, which I think for you as an investor, by the way, in the private market, it's something you want to see exactly for that predictability, I assume. And uh, why do you think that ambition, while it's growing now, I think, has been a bit lower than in the West? I mean, is it just that the arguments or the, the discourse on these topics wasn't really that developed in the region here? Or You mean the targets are lower? Is that what you perceived? Exactly. Targets targets to actually build renewable and invest in renewable power. Or maybe, I think overall discussion hasn't really been as focused on renewables maybe in the last, let's say, five, seven years as in some other countries. I mean, compared to like C region, I well, it's definitely picking up. I mean, across the across our region, it's on the agenda of every political party. It's on the agenda of every energy strategy. You know, our region is well, certainly certainly Poland. I don't recall what the what the what the energy mix of Czech Republic and Slovak Republic is, but generally the the region has been hev- heavily coal based, so quite a dirty fuel mix, and quite strong. Uh, unified or unionized coal mining, coal power plant producing workforce, which has been normally uh, politically vocal. So from that perspective, it's just always been a, a bit more difficult. And also you can't just switch off the coal fire plants. You know, you, you have to transpose and transform gradually. And that's just taken up taken up a bit more time to to maybe get going. But I would say right now, frankly, you know, I don't see the Polish government being less favorable to renewables than the UK government, for instance. David Cameron, the UK, uh, the ex-UK Conservative Prime Minister, was known for non-renewable friendly statements. Yeah, onshore wind you practically cannot develop in, in the UK, although solar you can and very big push for offshore. There's always the endless debate between nuclear and offshore wind, which which is happening in many countries. UK, Poland is an example so I just think, yeah, I think it's probably legacy post-communist fuel mixes just catching up with, in terms of the approach to the energy transition. But frankly, uh, our region is so uh, perspective now and so attractive. And therefore, because it's catching up and therefore is, in my opinion, much more attractive from an investment perspective than you know, legacy markets in Western Europe. Yeah, so that's why I'm I'm so excited about the region personally. I mean, there's lots of upgrades that, that are necessary. There's, there's still fuel mix to de- decarbonize, grid to modernize, but I, I'm very, very positive about it going forward. Okay, that's really, really good and optimistic, I think. And exactly, as you said, that's a really interesting point, by the way, how that can be more attractive for investors because there's so much more to transition, essentially. Yeah, in, absolutely. In the region. And maybe just to, to close, by the way, because so on that optimistic note, so what do you actually see maybe in more concrete ways or you know more practically? What do you see as some of the main opportunities here? So we mentioned on offshore in Poland, but so essentially are we talking mainly photovoltaics and mix of wind turbines or Yeah. I mean I'm uh, I, my, my my generally my personal opinion 
and this is based on my experience and, and simply my, my, my view is that the technology that will really dominate in the future is, is solar, solar PV, large scale, utility scale PV, and as well as distributed rooftops. It's just a resource which we have great predictability in. It comes every day. It's still massively underutilized. What it, what it does, where it does fail, or where it does have a weakness, is its, its predictability in terms of stability of signal, because obviously there's no generation during the night, and it's much lower when it's cloudy. But I think that technology, together with batteries, uh, will will serve to stabilize the the power signal. Uh, the large scale stuff will be produced by offshore wind. So there's huge potential in offshore wind in the Baltic Sea and and Baltic Sea alone uh, is predicted to have about 90 gigawatts of potential capacity split between all the Baltic, all the countries that have the uh, Baltic Sea on, on their coast. I think onshore wind is going to become more and more a location-specific strategy. So it, the NIMBY, so not in my backyard problem, is, is something that, that unfortunately onshore wind suffers. Uh, and I believe countries like Romania, for instance, have a huge, huge potential there because you have very, let's say, relatively scarcely populated areas with, with big plains. Also, by the way, ideal for PV. I think country like Ukraine, once this, uh, once this uh, barbaric invasion of, of Russia is over, will offer fantastic potential for large-scale onshore wind. And PV, but where onshore wind is struggling, you know, in, in slightly more populated areas, some areas in Poland, although there, Poland still does uh, hold some some good potential. So that that's my that's my bet would be predominantly solar offshore wind and storage, battery storage with selective locationally based um, uh, onshore wind. Uh, what's a really great technical solution also going forward is is the ability to actually connect into a single connection point to technologies. So it's called cable pooling. So once that's prevalent across Europe, you'll be able to use a single connection point for a PV farm and a wind farm, which is really, really nice. Uh, and that introduces stability because those two technologies together create a very stable signal. And that's exactly what I was hoping for. Like This is a very good analysis and predictions and still very optimistic angle as well, to be honest. And also what I'm noticing when you speak is that there's so much technology I don't even know about and probably it is developing so quickly over the years now that there in the next, let's say, one to decades might be so many new things. And for example, as you just mentioned, you know, connecting some of these two different sources. So yeah, I'm, I'm also really, really hopeful. Electrifying everything is what I view, what my, my personal belief. Uh, I'm a little bit... Uh on the fence as to hydrogen. I think the physics of hydrogen make it somewhat limited to the use cases that, that can be, be used to benefit. So I think electrification as much as possible of a mixture of those, from a mixture from those technologies, green technologies is, is the way forward. Yeah, so definitely the plan is to have a mix and not just to rely on one source. Okay, good. So. And what we normally do at the end of the discussion, we always try to ask at least one, let's say more personal question and what I'm realizing is that I have spoken to a few people, but you are the only one, if I'm not mistaken, from actual energy sector or renewable energy. So I'm very curious. And for that reason, I actually wanted to ask you, what is that one piece of advice you would actually give someone who wants to go into renewables, which is now, you know, really like rapidly growing industry? So what is something they should As consider? Renewable energy. So I would say, yeah, get an elect uh, get a degree in electrical engineering. Okay. And that's one thing that I wish I 
could find time to do even at this late stage of my career. So I'm a finance guy. And so, you know, strategy, financing, M&A. And I, I, you know, some of my, one of my biggest mentors historically is a guy called Jacek Govatsky, who's, who's basically kind of was the driver behind creation of Polonergia. And he's an electrical engineer. And I think if you know electrical engineering, you really know what you're talking about. I always feel, I always feel an imposter syndrome when I'm speaking to electrical engineers. So actually, that's one thing I'm going to try and do in the next few years is to do an electrical engineering degree somehow. Yeah. <laughs> well, good luck with that. So that's a, it's an interesting message. So I mean, basically, put together, put together an MBA with an electrical engineer, very, very powerful combination. And I have an MBA, but I don't have an electrical engineering degree. <laughs> There's still time. There's still time you can do that. <laughs> I'm probably still busy to do that. But okay, that's an interesting message, by the way, because obviously in terms of finance, the capital is there. There's a lot of people working in finance, but essentially we probably will need more, you know, energy engineers. And yeah, I mean, first of all, electrical engineers and any any kind of engineers are much more valuable in my view than M&A finance guys like me. But some who then choose to get an MBA and switch across in my experience, you know, very, very strong operators because you've got the technical awareness, te- technical knowledge, and then you can staple onto that, you know, MBA or legal degree or whatever. So you can actually develop it and get financing at the same time. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Which is a very good combination. Well, okay, that has been really interesting. And I'm actually, I learned a lot as well because energy is not one of my areas of expertise. So thank you so much, Bard. It was great talking to you today. And also on behalf of ISFC, we hope to welcome you in Prague soon. So let us know when you're here. I'll be back. Good, good, I'll, good to hear. I'll definitely be back. You definitely should because we saw you recently at the CE Sustainable Finance Summit. But yes. I mean, anytime you're here, let us know. So thank you so much. And thanks for all the great work you've been doing on in the renewables because I also believe that this is definitely the way to go and we need more people pushing the agenda, which hopefully now it's accelerating, as we said. So optimistic outlook. Thank you. And, and also congratulations to the I, I, ISFC. I think you guys are doing a great job and really enjoyed the Sustainable Finance Conference recently so i enjoy being an advisor to, to, to the board as well so and we do appreciate that good thank you very much and to all the listeners you can look forward to other interesting discussions coming up thank you and bye thank you thank you for listening to sustainability in finance check out our website at isfc.org and make sure to follow us on social media for more content we hope you join us for the next episode